It's great to be with you this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we're just looking at one verse today. Ephesians 4, verse 15. You'll follow along as I read this verse aloud. I want you to hear these words that <clears throat> were initially written in a letter by the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus, but were written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. And, and therefore they come to us today with authority and with power in the same kind of way as if Jesus himself were speaking to us. So let's hear together the word of Christ. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head in to Christ. This is the word of the Lord. We're continuing our Life Together series uh, this week. Jordan kind of restarted it last week. And uh, we initially started this in January. We did five weeks in January and we're going to do five weeks this summer. And uh, we're, we're talking about Christian community what it means to be a body, what it means to be called together as a community uh, of believers, as a community of Christ followers. The, the Christian life is necessarily communal. And I think that that can be lost, especially in kind of the Western church that we find ourselves in. The West is a very marketplace market-driven kind of culture. And if we're not careful, everything can kind of become like that. What kind of market good am I getting out of this, right? How marketable is this? And, and we treat a lot of different things in our society that way. And we can even treat our Christian faith that way to where Christianity becomes kind of this marketable good, this thing, this service, this product that will help you make better decisions or make your life better or make you feel better. It's, it's useful, it's marketable. But if we're presenting the Christian message or the Christian gospel that way, it's, it's very easy <laughs> to leave out any of the hard parts, right? You don't ever say the bad stuff about the product in the commercial, right? It's always the good things. It's always the, the reasons that this is going to be good for you. Marketing is very me-centric, consumer-centric. But Christianity is very different than that. Actually, the, the, the fundamental calling of Christianity is to forsake yourself. It's, it's actually a calling away from yourselves and toward God... And as we see in the New Testament, toward others, you know, there are 59 other, one another commands in the New Testament. These are commands, commands of the Lord that we would love one another and live in harmony with one another, serve one another, protect one another. I want you to hear that. Christianity is not really like reading a self-help book, <laughs> or buying into some exciting new investment. It's more like joining a family that bears with one another and celebrates with each other and mourns with each other and corrects each other. 
You know, the word testament, right? You've heard that word, New Testament, Old Testament. It's really this idea of covenant, right? The old covenant, the way that God covenanted with people. The new covenant, the way that God covenants with his covenant people. And actually that word is very important to who we are. In fact, we've, we've put it in our name. We want to be Christ covenant. We, we want to be a church that's focused on Christ, realizing that only in Christ can we covenant with God, can we know God, can we experience God, but also that in Christ we've been called to covenant with one another. It's very essential to who we are as a church. We are a covenant community, a, a family community, a joined community. You know, we always, one of the things we talk about often here is that most Christians today can't answer the question, what is a church? They can't. Go ask a Christian, what is a church? And they'll tell you, ah, well, they won't really know. And some people will identify the church as the building, right? Well, that's, that's the church. The church is a building. Or some people talk about the church as an event, right? I attend church, meaning I attend a worship service. That's a church. I go to church, right? Or they talk about the church as a personality, right? Oh, I go to so-and-so's church, right? It's, it's kind of a, a, a brand or a person that you're connected with. Um, or maybe people talk about the church, you know, in, more and more today people are talking about church as streamed content, right? I, I have my church on Tuesday in my pajamas, right? What are they saying? They're saying church is streamed content. It's content I consume. But actually none of these definitions, none of these ways that people talk about the church are biblical. <laughs> they're ways that Americans in kind of this marketplace world like to talk about the church, but they're not the way that the Bible or the New Testament or that Jesus talks about the church. The church, fundamentally, the, the, the Greek word for church, ekklesia, is, is really fundamentally focused on the people. It's, it's the people who've been called out of the world by the gospel, who've been called together into a covenant community in the gospel, and who are together called towards some mission, toward God's mission, toward the work of Christ and his good news. Churches have buildings, churches have preachers, churches have content, churches have worship services. But essentially, ontologically, none of those things are the church. They're, they're products of the church. They're, they're goods of the church. And we're grateful for all of those goods. But essentially, the, the church is the people. What is Christ's covenant? Christ's covenant is the 961 members that make up Christ's covenant. That is what Christ's covenant is. It's, it's you. It's the members. It's the people. It's this body that have been called to one another, to love one another, restore one another, to protect one another. As Jordan talked about last week, to sing with one another. You know, we're going to have a members meeting tonight. And we'll give you an update on things like how much you've given. And we'll give you an update on where we are in the building project. And we'll give you an update about the new members that are joining the church. And all those things are good and fun and exciting. But you know how we really want to measure the strength of this church, how well this church is doing, if this church is healthy or not? 
It's how well we're obeying these commands. How well are you guys stirring one another along toward faith and good deeds? How well are you uh, protecting one another? How well are you restoring one another? How well are we loving one another and mourning with one another and celebrating with one another? That's what shows you how strong of a church you have, how faithful and good of a church you have. And this week, I think we're going to be talking about one of the most important of these commands. I mean, it's essential if you want to know anything about disciple making, if you want anything about Christian growth, you, you have to understand this impulse. And it's this idea that we speak truth to one another in love. We speak the truth to one another in love. Let's look at the passage again, speaking the truth in love. And then there is a result. What is the result? If we get good at this, right? If we're good at speaking truth to one another in love, what happens? We grow up. We, we mature. We grow in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. We, we become like the Lord. We, we grow individually and corporately into the image of Christ. We didn't read it, but look at verse 16. <coughs> it says, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part working properly makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I just want you to hear in that verse how important each of you are. The way that the body grows is not when just one part is working properly, right? It doesn't say, oh, well, the elbow is killing it. And even though the rest of the body parts are lazy, the whole body is healthy. No, it says when the whole, when everybody's working properly, right? When we are a healthy community of believers committed to these things, speaking truth to one another, that's when the whole is healthy. That's when the whole body grows. I, I want you to understand how important you are in this. The health of Christ's covenant is, is not solely dependent on me or our elders or deacons or staff members. It's dependent on all of us, the whole body, each part working properly. That's how we grow. This really is Christian discipleship. Jesus commanded all of us, His great and final command to His church, make disciples. This is how we do this. This is really how you make disciples. We, we speak truth to one another in love. So I want to talk about four things as, as we look at this, what this looks like in our community. First of all, the, the truth of the community, the posture of the community, the activity of the community, and the result. So let's look at the truth of the community. Now, this is an interesting it's an interesting kind of moment in history to be talking about uh, truth. I first read Michael Foucault in, in college. He's kind of a postmodern thinker. And I remember reading him and thinking, this is so far out there. This is so strange. This is so peripheral. And, and Foucault and a lot of other Derrida, a lot of other postmodern thinkers kind of have this theory that, that all truth is a construct that powerful people have come up with 
to control other people, right? That's what, that's what truth is. It's a, it's a construct that powerful people have kind of created. This is absolute truth. And if you control the absolute truth, you can make people do whatever you want. And so postmodernism as a philosophy, as an ideology, has kind of rejected this idea of absolute truth. And again, when I was in college, which, which wasn't that long ago, some of these ideas seemed really kind of peripheral out there, but they seem incredibly mainstream today. And so we've, we have phrases, maybe you don't, haven't read a lot of Foucault or Derrida, but you've heard phrases that are their grandchildren, like you do you or live your truth. This is Foucault. This is, this is postmodern philosophy just put in bite size and easy to interpret forms. Well, of course, we know, sensible people understand that these people can't be right. Everyone can't be doing what is right in their own eyes. That's chaos. Uh, it's interesting that there's a, a whole a book of the Bible, actually, that kind of critiques postmodern thinking. Uh, it was written 3,500 years ago, but, or it was written about events 3,500 years ago, but it's uh, the book of Judges, or almost 3,500 years ago. And the book of Judges is a great critique of this kind of postmodern thought. It, 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 it is a picture of a world where everyone does what is right in their own eyes. Everyone is living out their truth. And as you can read in the book, it's total chaos. God has to continue to rescue the people from their depravity. So there's one side, this kind of postmodern side that, that says, well, all truth is a construct. There is no truth, right? Everybody's on a pilgrimage trying to figure out what works for them. But then there's another side, and this is what the postmodern side is pushing back against. It's kind of this fundamentalistic side that, that people that use truth or that use absolute truth claims to to manipulate people or to control people. Of course, there was a lot of talk about this, you know, 15 years or so ago with uh, religious extremism, religious fundamentalism that led to terrorism. And even in more subtle ways, we, we've seen this just with abuse of power in, uh, in churches or in other kind of religious setting. There, there's this kind of power that comes with absolute truth claims that can certainly be abused. So on one side, you, you have this dangerous postmodernity that leads to chaos. On the other side, you have this kind of dangerous fundamentalism uh, that can lead to manipulating truth, to control people. So what do we do with truth, right? Wait, how do, how do, we, how do we interpret this? How do we find our way here? It's in a very important conversation in this moment. And I think that this is why this passage is so helpful and so Important. I, I want to keep talking about the truth of the community, but I want to kind of move on to the second point here, the posture of the community. And I really think that this is the answer. It, it's truth in love. It, it's truth in love. Cr Christians are people who believe in truth, but it's not your truth or my truth. It's God's truth. This is, again, one of the problems of a secular worldview. Secular world, Foucault might as well be right. If, they're, if everything is just natural, if all we have is the natural world, then that, that doesn't give, an, give us an explanation of what is truth. If there is no God, if there is no anchor, there is no truth. 
And more and more and more, as the world continues to become more and more secular, you're, you're going to see debates about truth or fake news or whatever it is. And again, people can't really live in this kind of world for long. It's incredibly disorienting. If one day this is true and the next day the opposite is true. If there is no anchor, if there is no guide, it's an incredibly frustrating and deteriorating world. This is the kind of heart of Pilate when he looked at Jesus during his trial. I can just see it. Pilate's a very interesting character in the Bible. And he looks at Jesus and he says, what is truth? I feel like many people are looking around and asking that same question today. What is truth? What is the truth? Of course, Jesus' answer is my words. <laughs> Everyone who listens, who is of the truth, listens to my voice. Christians are people who believe that only God is truth, but that we can know that truth because God has graciously revealed himself. Revelation from God is the cornerstone for what we believe. And it's also the cornerstone for our community. Ecclesia, those who have been called out by the gospel, called out by the truth of God, called out of the world because we believe that we have heard from the Lord. And it's that truth that binds us. So Christians are not afraid of absolute truth. We're, we're not afraid of saying something is true because we believe that God who is absolute has spoken. So we're not, we're not postmodernists. But what keeps us from being fundamentalists, right? What keeps us from this other tendency to use truth to control people? And again, I'm not saying this has never been done in the name of Christianity or that people haven't used Christian truth in this kind of dangerous way. Even the Bible warns against this. And I also want to say too, people will often critique Christianity or religion for being kind of fundamentalistic or using their truth to manipulate people. I just want to say as an aside here, every worldview does this, right? So this is not just a religious problem, right? In fact, I would say in today's current moment, secular people are more fundamentalistic than religious people tend to be. And if you don't believe me, go out into the public square and challenge a Christian doctrine and see what happens to you. And then go out into the public square and challenge a secular doctrine and see what happens to you. Come back and tell me which group is more fundamentalistic about those things. But what keeps us from this kind of tendency, this tendency to kind of take absolute truth claims and use it in a way that is controlling toward other people. And again, I think that there's something about Christian truth that is, that is very different than other worldly truth claims. And, and three things real quick here. First of all, that there's a difference in how Christian truth has come. <coughs> it's come in many ways. But primarily Christian truth has come to us through Jesus who came in love, who came in grace, right? It hasn't come by some worldly philosopher. It came by this humble servant who is the Lord. The second thing about Christian truth is what it does. If you really encounter Christian truth, it, it doesn't puff you up. It, it humbles you. 
the gospel has this amazing power to both humble you and give you confidence, not in yourself, but in the Lord at the same time. The gospel has this incredible power to both bring you low and to bring you high. The gospel reminds us that we are sinners in great need of grace, but that God is gracious and loving. And through the cross of Jesus, he's paid for our sins and, and called sinners out of our separation from God into deep fellowship with him. And, and if that's happened to you, if fundamentally who you believe you are, like if you say, this is my main identity, this is the Christian identity, that I am a sinner in need of grace, that God has been gracious to me, that God through the sacrifice of his son Jesus has been gracious to me. If fundamentally that is your identity, then that doesn't puff you up. That doesn't make you feel so enlightened. It actually gives you incredible mercy and gentleness and patience. Christian truth is different in the way that it came and what it does and finally what it calls us to. As I said before, the Christian truth, Christianity calls us not not to save our lives, but to lose our lives. It, it, it cuts us away from this kind of manipulative, self-centered pride. Jesus says, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it, will find it. You know, you know when you get in trouble? I want you to hear this. You know when you really get in trouble? It's when you start to save your life. It's when you start to protect your life. It's when you quit giving your life away. It's when, you, when the Lord's been so kind to you and you get so much that your number one impulse is just to protect it and to save it and to save your life. That, that, will, that will ruin you. It's not Christian. Jesus says, you want to follow me? Lose it. Give your life away. That's where you really find life. So there's truth in our community, but the posture is always love, love for the other person. That doesn't mean we're passive or silent as we're going to talk about, but it means that we're always pursuing one another in love. So we've looked at the truth of the community and the posture of the community, but what is the activity of the community? And this is really the command. I want you just to hear this. This is this is Christian Disciple Making 101. In love, in a posture of love, speak truth to one another. In a posture of love, speak truth to one another. <coughs> That's really what God's called you to as a disciple maker. That's really what it means to be a disciple maker, to speak truth in love. And this really begins happening. And I want you to hear this too. This really begins happening. You begin doing this, and the whole body is benefited from this when you start to see yourself as more than a fan of Christianity, <laughs> as more than just a fan of Jesus, as somebody who's kind of spectating what Jesus is doing. Look, I love to go to a Braves game, right? I'm a fan of the Braves. I love to go, I love to get a hot dog, get something to drink, sit there, I cheer, I clap. I enjoy the game. Sometimes, I have to be honest, I leave a little early to get ahead of traffic because I'm just a fan, okay? I'm a good fan, maybe not the best fan, but I'm a decent fan. And you know what? I feel like that is many of your posture toward the Christian life. You, 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 you like Jesus. 
but you're not really engaged with him. You're, you're, you're pulling him along. You'll buy a ticket. You have a hat. But you're not really engaged with him. You know, it's a very different thing if when I'm at the game, Brian Snicker calls me and says, hey, Dansby's hurt. We need you to play shortstop. That's a different thing. I'm not leaving the game early, right? I'm putting the hot dog away. No, why? Because I'm called into the game. I'm called to be a participant. The team is counting on me. The, the success of the whole organization is now partly on my shoulders. That's, that's the call of the Christian. It's, it's to participate. It's, Jesus is saying, look, I've got this mission. I'm trying to turn the hearts of the whole world toward my Father. I'm trying to make disciples of all nations. I need some shortstops. I need some people that are going to engage with this. And, and how do you play shortstop? How do you get in this game? You speak truth in love. That, that is disciple making. That is the, the, the fundamental calling that you've all been called to. Some people say, what does it mean to make a disciple? Fundamentally, this is what I'm telling you. This is what it is. You, you speak the truth of God to one another in love. Now, there's a lot of different ways to do that. I want to talk about that and be very practical. But fundamentally, this is, this is the calling of Christ, to speak truth in love. Now, of course, this implies that you're full of the love of God. It implies you know Christ, that you've been changed by the gospel. It implies that you're a part of a community of faith. You can't do this alone. It implies that you at least have some working knowledge of the truth of God. But I want to be really practical here. And, and we try to be very practical as a church. One of the kind of images that we always use, and I think we have a, it on the screen here, is our little discipleship wheel. And I've got zoom in coming so you can, you can see this. But, but we've tried to make this like as simple as we possibly can and say, look, there, there's kind of nine basic behaviors that we ask of our members because we think these are kind of nine basic behaviors of the Christian life. And in all of these, as you're going to see, there is a speaking the truth in love to one another. So the first thing that we ask of our membership is that you would engage in, participate in corporate worship, that you'd be here, that you'd be doing this. So well done, you're doing this. But when you do this, you're going to be seeing people. You're going to have chances to encourage people. You're going to have chances to go and maybe correct somebody or maybe lift somebody up or maybe teach someone. One of the things we do, as we talked about last week, is we sing together. What an important act to the body. I encourage you to participate, to sing strongly. It's so encouraging. When you hear the guy next to you or the gal next to you singing the truth of God fully and strongly, it's speaking the truth in love to one another. One of the things that you're doing here is what you're doing right now. You're listening to the truth of God. Again, that's an important part. If you want to speak the truth of God, you have to know the truth of God. So, so even this, the, the intake of God's word is an important part of being able to make a disciple, to speak God's truth. Second thing on our little wheel is personal devotion. <clears throat> and again, this is typically a personal time, not a time of speaking. And what we mean by this is once you have time in your regular rhythm, hopefully daily rhythm where you're spending time reading God's word and praying, spending time meditating on God's truth. And again, there's not a lot of speaking involved in this, but in, in order to speak truth in love, what, what our hope is in this is that as you encounter God in his word, meditating on his truth, 
that he would change your life and you'd be able to speak his truth to others. A third is family worship. Again, what an amazing calling. Now, we have a lot of single folks at this church, and I always say you kind of get a little bit of a pass at this, unless you, you live with other Christians. And, and really, even if you don't live with Christians, in your home, are you speaking truth, right, to the people that you live with? Uh, some of the most sweet times of kind of Christian fellowship I've had were before I was married, living with roommates, stirring one another along. But if you are married, if you do have children, how are you discipling your family? How are you speaking truth? This is kind of both in a formal setting, a time where you sit down as a family and look at God's word together, but also informally. How are you helping your children, your spouse to see God more rightly, speaking the truth of God to them in love? Not in a, not in a manipulative kind of legalistic sense, but because you love them. You want them to grow into the likeness of Christ. Number four is supporting the church. Again, this is more of a personal act. But, you know, generosity is something that I think we're, we're too quiet about. There, there's, there's a lot of verses in the Bible about giving discreetly. Now, what those verses mean is don't give in such a way so that you'll be seen and be praised, right? That's what those verses are about. They're not saying don't ever... Encourage people toward generosity. Don't ever talk about being generous. That, that's not what they're saying. In fact, that is a good thing. And I would even ask you, is there, is there any sort of, is anyone speaking into your life about generosity, right? We, we invite accountability in a lot of ways. But is generosity or how we're using our money one of those ways? You, you would make better financial decisions if you would talk about your financial decisions with a few trusted friends. And as Christians, are we encouraging generosity among one another? Speaking truth in love. Fifth, joining a group. We're, we're actually going to change this in our next iteration of this little wheel to relational discipleship. Because really this is joining a group, but it's so much more than being a part of a group. We have formal gatherings of groups, community groups. We have some on-campus groups. We have cohorts. Um, there are so many ways to engage with other believers. So it's formally, but also just informally. As you grab coffee with one another, as you encourage one another, <coughs> as you go shopping together, as you work alongside each other, as you develop real Christian friendship, is the posture of that that you're speaking truth to one another. Who's speaking truth in your life? That's a great question to ask. Who, who are you speaking truth into their life? Who, who are the people that know you, that really know you, that, 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 that pray for you? Who are the people that feel the freedom to be able to correct you? That is a great question. It's one of the most wonderful things that have ever been said to me. I want you to hear this. Some of the most wonderful things, the things that I'm most grateful for, that have ever been said to me are some of the things were the very hardest for me to hear. They're, they're the most loving and wonderful things that have ever been said to me because they opened my eyes to things that weren't true. I needed someone to speak truth into my heart, into my life, to open my eyes. Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. <laughs> Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. 
There's going to be a lot of people that will praise you, come around you when everything's good. Who, who will come around you when you've blown it? Who will come around you and correct you? John Newton once said, our natural temptation is to say what we should not say, meaning just to blow up at someone, right? When we get mad, we just blow up. We say something we shouldn't say. No grace. Or to not say what we should say. One is cruel arrogance. The other is cruel cowardice. Neither is love. Speaking truth in love. This is disciple making. And again, we're having our members meeting tonight. Today at 3 o'clock. You know the thing that I want us to be good at? You know the thing I want us to say, hey, we're, we, you, know, you know, Christ's covenant, you know what we've done. You know, yes, we're, we're sending missions. We're, uh, you know, we're adding new people. We're buying this building. Yes, and I'm so excited about all those things. But you know what I really want us to say? You know what this church is really good at is this. We love one another. We speak truth in one another. Everything else will happen. If we're doing this, the body will mature. We'll grow up into Christ. Everything else will happen. Are we speaking truth in love? And I'll just say this to you. If you're not in a group, if you're not in a cohort, if there's not people you're regularly praying with, you're probably not very good at this. Sixth thing is table talk. But again, we're changing this to personal evangelism. How do you speak the truth of God to outsiders, to people who don't know the Lord? Again, truth in love. One of, the, one of the passages that I love when I think about evangelism or speaking the truth to people that don't know the Lord, Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech always be gracious, okay? Let your speech always be gracious. Christian, hear that. Let your speech always be gracious, full of love, right? We go out gracious, not fighting, not, not trying to win some ideological war. Let your speech be gracious. But then I love this. Seasoned with salt. Seasoned with salt. Seasoned with the truth of God. Seasoned with gospel salt. Let your speech be seasoned. It tastes different. The speech of a Christian just tastes different than the speech of anyone else. That you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let your speech be seasoned by God's truth and be gracious. And seventh, uh, we have a behavior of serving the church. Again, as we serve one another, right, we speak truth in love. So grateful for so many that do this every week as you lead a group or you uh, teach our children. I'm so grateful for the many volunteers that have just recently worked with Kids Camp. What an amazing way to speak truth in love to these children. Number eight, bless this city. As we live in this city, as we meet the needs of this city, we have opportunity to speak the truth in love to the city. I just want to say, you want to change Atlanta? You want to, you want to have an impact in society? You want to bring justice to our city? Go do something useful. Go serve. Go engage. Go solve a problem and people will listen to you. You'll have opportunity to speak the truth in love. And number nine... In our final behaviors, reach the world. Again, this obviously involves speaking. We're talking about planting churches, missions, <coughs> even to the ends of the earth. Right now, I'm so proud of, of a group of high schoolers in the Dominican Republic helping the church plant, Grace City Church, uh, to get off the ground, to get started. And I'm just so grateful that here are these 15, 16, 17-year-old kids 
learning how to speak truth in love, how to stir on our ministry partners so the work of Christ can go forward. I just want you to see this. In everything we do, right, this is not just, here's how you speak truth in love, there's one setting. No, it's everything we do. It's in our worship, it's in our mission, it's in our, it's in our small community group, it's, in our, it's with our families. And so last thing, what is the result of this? What happens if we do this? And here's the result. It's, the church will be healthy. We grow up into every way. We, we become like Jesus. Here's what really happens. You know what happens when a church starts to do this? You know what really happens when a church starts to do this? Jesus is manifest among us. Jesus is manifest among us. The mercy of Christ is known, is seen, it's felt, because it's felt and seen in you and in you. The, the teaching of Christ, right? The, the teaching of Christ. There's one thing to, to, to hear a teaching of Jesus. It's, it's, another, it's very another thing to, to be in a community that's living that out and talking about that teaching with one another. That's where it really sinks home. The compassion of Christ. The correction of Christ. The grace and love of Christ. Don't you see, when a, when a church is doing this, we're speaking the truth of Christ to one another. As we're growing into him, what is happening? He's manifest. His body is seen. His body is known. It, it truly is a Christ covenant. It truly is a Christ-centered covenant community of believers. Yeah, I wrote in a little email this week. This week, I mean this week, it was the 24th. Six years ago, Paige and I really felt, hey, we're supposed to leave our church in Birmingham and start this new work in Atlanta. And so we've been at this for kind of six years. And, and my vision is this, that, that, that we would be a Christ covenant, a covenant body of believers, people that really love one another, that are speaking truth to one another and growing in the fullness and the maturity of Christ. And that only happens, of course, when we know Christ. We realize that he has been merciful to us, that without him we're done, but that with him we can be the sons and daughters of Christ, sons and daughters of God. And, and when that starts to happen, when the gospel penetrates our lives, when we see this gospel work in one another, Jesus is glorified among us. Let's pray that God would do this. Let's pray that, that this, this, this fullness of Christ would be known in us. Father, I, I, I pray for Christ's covenant now. For our little church, our little 961 souls. That as we look to you, as we, as we know you, that this, this is who we would be, that we would grow up into the fullness of you, that our desires would be like your desires, that our heart would be like your heart, that we would love your truth, we would live by your truth, and that we would love one another, and we'd be able to speak your truth to one another faithfully, strongly, consistently, Lord. Give us, the, give us the faith um, to listen and love your truth and, and 
give us the faith to listen to and love one another, Lord, as we grow together. We pray now, Lord, you do your work in our hearts. In Jesus' name.